Welcome. My name is Don Roos. I'm the writer and director of The Opposite of Sex. And joining me today to discuss the movie are David Codron, the editor of the picture. Hello. And Michael Bessman, one of uh, my producers. Good afternoon. When I sat down to write The Opposite of Sex, I, I wanted to break a few rules. I'd been writing movies uh, for Hollywood for some time, and some of the rules are these. The hero or heroine must be very, very likable, avoid flashbacks, and no voiceover, please. And I wanted to break all three of those rules, but most particularly the one about us always, always, always liking everything the very sympathetic heroine does. So I sat down to write a story about a, a kind of a, I wouldn't call her evil, but I would call her very, very... Uh, mean. <laughs> mean. I call her very adventurous in spirit and not constrained by a, con a typical morality. And, and here's what I came up with, this uh, creature. Here's the first shot, and I tried to um, build some kind of suspense by not showing her face until until she turns and faces herself in the mirror. That was the Gilda shot. It was the Gilda shot. I had a lot of big ideas before I uh, got on, on, on set. One of the pictures I loved was uh, Max Ophel's The Earrings of Madame D, and I wanted to have a visual look for the picture like that. And um, I just didn't succeed in, in, in achieving any of those high ideals. I think when, when idealism met uh, practical, practical reality, uh, it suffered. That would have taken a lot of rehearsal time. A lot of rehearsal time and a those, lot of... Those French hours, we didn't mm -hmm. have the luxury. We didn't. We had no time at all to make this movie. We made it for a little under $5 million. We shot for 40 days, which was quite a long shooting schedule for... A 123-page script. Yes, and lots and lots of setups. Lots of small scenes, one-eighth of a page scenes, which uh, take as long as two pages, really, to, to light and design and, and set up. So we ran out of, uh, of uh, time and resources very, very early on and had to adjust our artistic vision to, you know, to suit that kind of reality. This is actually the first uh, scene of the movie that occurred to me when I sat down to write the script, and I'll tell you about that a little later. She was all over me the day we buried my stepfather. We shot this, I think, on day three. And uh, I remember that first week of uh, directing the movie was, I think, the happiest I had been in my professional life, aside from the maybe the first week of being on set uh, during the filming of the very first movie I wrote, Love Field. It was a very exciting uh, period for me to be actually, after writing and, and being on the sidelines of film for so long, to be sitting in the director's chair and actually making all of the decisions. And also that the movie was actually getting made. Oh, yes, because to, to get a movie to the stage where you, your camera trucks arrive on day one is, is very arduous and unpredictable and difficult. And right up until 10 days before uh, we sh started shooting, we were in limbo as to whether we would actually be making the movie or not. Some of that was about, will we get a cast that the studio believes in and believes will make their money back? And can we hire the right uh, people? And uh, will the money be there? In fact, just after we uh, started shooting, about two weeks after we started shooting, Reicher, who was our financing studio, decided to get out of the feature film business. Was it their decision? So uh, for a lot of the filming of the movie, 
we were uh, orphans, and in a way that helped us a lot because we did not have a lot of interference from above and a lot of notes. In fact, our other producer was kind of our studio executive, which I think is an ideal situation. It is ideal. David Kirkpatrick, uh, who was uh, producing the movie with Michael, was also kind of sort of like the studio guy. We call them losers. And that helped us a lot. We always had a friend in court with him. Boy, do we have bad sound here. None of these sides matched, really. This sound was fine, and then when we went to Didi's, it was really terrible. So I think we looped a lot of this, and, and we did our best. The sound you hear are sprinklers in the background. And wasn't that a fake body on him? Didn't we use special effects? <laughs> this is the only take that we had him without a shirt on. We decided later that uh, it was the sexist one, and we should stick with that. Well, this was a fun scene to cut. This yeah. went through many, many versions. I'm not, I'm not sure that this is the best version. This is the third this best version. This was a compromise. We had some uh, studio notes that we tried to address here, and I'm not sure we ended up doing what was best for the movie here. Really? But it was, yeah, it was the best for us. Timing-wise, I think it works great. There's, some, there's a weird cut. Let me see if I can find it. We were also on location, and it was really hard to shoot this scene because we couldn't really get around to the other side of the actors uh, for the, the proper eye lines. And boy, was it hot. There's a sentence here that's a fragment. What is it? Every... Every Tuesday after yearbook here. Now, how would you fix that? I guess you could say Mr. Truitt, you know, blanks it hard. Here every Tuesday after yearbook? Or just Tuesdays after yearbook. You don't need the every, right? Yeah, I guess so. Can I go? Yep. See, don't you expect to see his head or his shoulder in that shot? I don't know. We're <laughs> it's not really well designed in terms of um, where, where the camera was placed. But what, you know, what did I know? <laughs> I was relying on um, others. <laughs> that scene works very well with an audience, but it was one of those scenes that's tough to cut because you can't really evaluate it without an audience, and it seemed really slow uh, until we got it in front of an audience. Can you believe this place? Gays love houses. Tom the dead guy was really loaded. I'd already worked on the beautiful dumb one. He helped out. The audience might not know, but we didn't go to Indiana. Oh, no, we didn't. This was all <laughs> shot in Los Angeles, which was all about keeping palm trees out of the shot. And um, houses of ethnic origins. <laughs> There was a sort of a Persian embassy across the street from this house, which you can keep seeing in the background, a little red emblem. Very, very hard to get any kind of sexual heat between uh, Martin Donovan and Ivan Sergei. Why? I think Martin was resisting a lot of it, to be honest. He was not feeling well that night and not happy to be here late shooting the scene. I bet he's sorry. 
everything is going great. We actually didn't have any, didn't record any uh, dialogue here in the background. This was all added later in, in uh, looping. That's how Bill met him. She teaches next to him, and one day she introduces him to her brother. It's a great shot of her. Yeah, she's beautiful there. She probably thought they could, you know, fish or play ball together. And they end up with their dicks in each other's mouth. She looked like she never got over it. Gross. But notice how pretty the urn is. That's typical gay. Well, I'm gonna clear the table. No, no. This was also a really tough scene to cut and to keep interesting. It's a tough scene to keep in the movie. A lot of people didn't want it in the movie. Yeah, a lot of people hated this scene. <laughs> a lot of producers didn't want it in the movie. I understand why, because it's the first kind, uh, after the it's scene It's the first dialogue Bill, scene, really. Yeah, it's the first scene between our, our leads, where they actually talk to each other, and the picture naturally has to slow down to yeah. hear it. But I, I'm not quite sure why I had so much trouble with this. Was it the angles I chose or something? <laughs> what, what did I do wrong here? <laughs> Lisa never liked this scene. I always liked her in it very much, and she never liked it. I think it was the lack of the intermediate angle. Yeah, yeah. what do we have? We have, we have this angle. And we it, have close It's almost yeah, like have, theater. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very good point. We have this size, and then the master, and that was it. One of the problems with voiceover films in general is that they keep a very strong pace going. So when you slow down for something that may be a bit dramatic, it tends to feel really slow. Mm -hmm. So that's where we had problems balancing the drama and the comedy. That's right, I remember, right. She has such um, drive and, and push with the voiceover. And when she steps away from it, we really have to... And there's so much action that happens with it. Right. Yeah, you see, here, here's, here's the problem, is the lack of variety of the shots. But the writing and the yeah. actors writing. carries the day, Don. Well, I think the producing here, too, oh, is so wonderful. Thanks. <laughs> Editing sucks. <laughs> no, not at all. No, you, say, you tried to save us. Is that marijuana in that bag first? Traveled around the country, demonstrating typewriters and tight sweaters. After that broke up, he married my mom. That's the one that killed him. Yeah, there's a reason. Yeah, I, I really needed to have a, an intermediate no, a shot here because That's we are just going for I'm master and then popping back and forth between these two close-ups. Then too bad he's however you think. Oh, well. It works. Who was the cameraman? Hubert Tachinowski. Oh. Matt worked the night shift at Kinko's, so he didn't go in until four. There's a missing scene here, I think. No, it comes after this scene. After we, right. we, we cut a big scene. He was like a blind person, you know? The library. See, the library scene. Well. This is another scene where I didn't have enough angles. It's survival. And really bad sound. Really lawnmowers and crickets and birds and... Milk trucks or whatever, newspapers, thwacking on front stoops. It was ridiculous what we had here. But you'll notice I do not have much to choose from. I have um, these shots. And then I think a closer shot, and that's it. Except for a raking shot at the end. Well, there's one, two, there's one great two shot. The Lolita right. front to the camera shot. 
I made a decision because I have no experience directing. I made a decision to concentrate on performance, and so we would sometimes linger in uh, a setup for me to um, find the performance or for the actors to find the performance with me, and then we wouldn't have the time to uh, to kind of choose another angle and set that up. Everything takes much, much more time than it should. Yeah, I guess. But I think if I had to do it again, I, I would not try to make each performance inside each angle work. I would know that uh, in a certain shot, that would uh, at the beginning of a scene I would be covered by a certain shot. I would make sure those lines or those moments are captured in that shot. And then as we go through a scene, you usually get closer. And I would, you know, I'd just be more economical, I think. It's okay. Live and learn. This was a day, actually, I think your producers came to me and said I was shooting too much film. Mm. Remember? And I punished you then by not eating lunch with you. No, you just kept eating pudding that day. Reverse discrimination. Quotas. And it wasn't me. It was the line producer. Right. It was an economical issue. Yeah, it was. I was spending... Not a time thing. Yeah, and editorially, I mean, we used every piece that and we could. what's mm-hmm. he doing these days? No, just kidding. This is a great shot. Now, was that an effect? Well, you know, in some of the shots, we actually saw what was covering her breasts. Mm-hmm. And we so we couldn't kinda, let that out. We blew this up and, and printed it with a mask on the bottom to make sure that uh, mm-hmm. we would never see that in the theater. Right. really great, but I'm gay. Theory. Whatever, you're my boyfriend's sister. Half-sister, look, I get it, okay? If I was you and I had this great setup and the guy I was with was like 15 years older than me and all I had to do was blow him a couple times a year, I wouldn't rock the boat either. Don, what did your parents think of the movie? My mother called. She finally saw the movie and said that um, she just thought I was a genius. And I said, (laughs) really? And she said, yes, that scenery is beautiful. <laughs> I said, what scenery? She said, oh, the trees, that lake. No, the palm trees. She really thought the scenery was terrific, mm. which was good. Now, want to talk about the library scene? Yeah, that came right in between here. It was a scene where uh, Lisa Kudrow talks to Martin Donovan and warns him that she sees something developing between his boyfriend and Christina Ricci. So it wasn't essential to the plot, but I always liked the scene because there were some fun lines in it, and we kept the adults on uh, in the story. You know, we didn't. Uh, she called herself a fag hag. Yeah, there was a lot of issues that we explored in the scene, but you know, it was shot on the very first day. We had a lot of lighting problems and a lot of um, uh, shot problems. The way the shots were designed didn't quite cut together. Isn't that right, David? It didn't cut together very well. It just didn't seem to warrant the time that it took, the scene, in It was general. about a three-minute I mean, three long beca- scene. Right. And because of the way the shots cut together, it wasn't easy to shorten. That's right. We couldn't, we couldn't take hunks of the scene out because then suddenly characters would appear to be in different parts of the room. Most of the scenes like in watched. this movie are well, pretty much to length. We didn't really do a lot of interior section trimming. That's right. As much as you might normally do in something like this we, we just couldn't we did in the in a scene coming up on, on the porch in a cabin in Canada but um, generally we had to run the scenes at, at their length You're pregnant. 
This is a very risky thing to do, is to just keep a two shot alive for a whole scene, because you then when you're editing, you, you have no control over pace at all. Um, there's no way to cut into this without, well, you just can't. So it's very risky, but I, was, I didn't have the time. So I think it works. It does work, but it's chancy. The, sh- the design actually really helps. The design of the to quilt. The sheets mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, it, there's <laughs> more kidding. to look at. Yeah. One, we're in love. Two, surprise. This was we supposed to be night, and suddenly we realized we couldn't control the reflections in the window panes if it were black outside, so it became a day scene. It's like a Sunday afternoon thing, right? Mm-hmm. You're gay, you jerk! You just never met the right woman. Yeah, one with a dick. Is that a cut? For your information, I'm bisexual. Please, I went to a bar mitzvah once. This, I had a lot of trouble with this scene, and just in ter- not so much in terms of performance, but in terms of um, setting up the shots and eye line and the 180 degree thing, which I never really understood. And remember, David, this was terrible to cut, wasn't it? Very tricky because in a lot of the sh- in the shot of the the two of them on the couch, Lisa Kudrow is actually walking back and forth. So we. Because she's not walking in her other shot, mm-hmm. we had to kind of avoid that. Right, that's right. But you can tell sometimes Christina's looking to the right and to the left, depending on where Lisa is. It doesn't always make sense, but I think it, it plays pretty well. Because right, half the time she's actually standing over next to Bill. Half the time she, she's standing, yeah, when yeah, you see, see her. That one work. It plays great because it's the first time we really s- hear what Lucia's all about. Mm-hmm. Right. And plus it's about the words. It's not about the mm-hmm. images. Oh, wow. Well, and the actors too. They're, this was this whole moment here was really a problem, which I don't. I think we got away with it. Smoking is bad for the baby. Like you care, or was it someone else who mentioned abortion? You're breaking his heart. I think I'm a little late for that. Where are you going, Matt? <sighs> Give me one of those. She would, she, between the cuts, she'd change his hands and cigarettes. and A lot of this stuff you don't notice as you see it, but it bothered us that's editing, that's for sure. See this big long pause here? There was another shot where there wasn't such a pause, and the delivery was just a little quicker. But the camera was kind of bouncing around. And was it in focus? I don't remember. <laughs> it was a, a shot we really couldn't use. If I talk honestly about how this movie was made, I don't, I'm not going to come off very well, so I have to... It's self-effacing. It's extremely self-effacing because it was a, a, a series of learning on the job with the hundred people standing around. Bringing you pudding. Bringing me pudding whenever I wanted it. As a writer on a set, you really get no attention at all. But no a, pudding. No pudding. But as a director, they're all about making you feel great, which is nice. It makes the job much easier, I think, than the job of a writer. I don't know if we had any trims or cuts in that scene, did we? Maybe one or two lines out of Ivan's mouth. I kind of felt sorry for him. I mean, he couldn't help being old. I said he was really nice, and thanks for the hospitality. Oh, the phone call. Oh, and don't tell my mom. There was also a scene in the script, which we never, I think, ever, ever filmed, where um, 
Lisa Kudrow goes to the Kinkos, where Matt works, and finds um, finds uh, Matt and Dee Dee in the girls' room having sex. And that is the scene that comes before the library scene. Was that even in a script that not you read? Not in the script. Not in the script. Would have been is it too late to film it? It was fun. They were they were making out under a big sign that says uh, reproductive services because it was a Kinkos. <laughs> and uh, that's what gave Lucia the idea that something was happening between Don't those two characters. Don't forget that scene uh, between Dee Dee and Bill when she just is moving in. Oh, yeah. We left that out, too. That also slowed down the movie a lot. Uh, the first day that Dee Dee arrived at this house, uh, Bill comes and hugs her outside as we saw through the window th- with with Matt. But then um, they go upstairs and, and she's unpacking. He's she's on unpacking. He's on the phone to her mother and she's asking if she can stay and he says yes. And it, what happens is that the audience is way ahead of you uh, and they understand that naturally there'll be a scene where she asks to stay and naturally he'll say yes because in the next scene they're together. And, and so you have to cut those. Otherwise the audience is perceives the film to be very slow. Done with Matt. Notice the little uh, red traffic cone <laughs> in the street. And notice how he's parked in his driveway and he doesn't even notice the cars he's walking out. Lots of problems. I went to Hoover like four years ago. Look, don't even pretend that you didn't know about Matt and I. About Matt and me. Look, I have been calling for the last two days. That's the house in the background that is not the Persian embassy. And his car is gone. Where is he? I have no idea. Hey. Don't you blow me off. I could make trouble for you, you know. Tell them you're gay. They already know I'm gay, you little prick. And you came on to me when I was a student. Do they they know that? Johnny's great. He uh, came in and read for the part of of Randy, who is uh, Christina Ricci's, you know, white trash boyfriend. And he wasn't right for that. And... um, we gave him this part because he's got a wonderful, innocent quality. He makes this character much more likable than he really has a right to be. I didn't know that Johnny had a big career in television. He was on Roseanne for uh, six seasons. He's a wonderful, wonderful actor. Spy? Are you serious? We're always the last to know. Fuck you. I want to talk to him. If I don't hear from him by Friday, I'm going to the police. For all I know, you killed him. Then for all you know, I'm just getting started. Did, did you put those me? tweeting birds in, or were they in? No, we did that on purpose. Yes. This was a difficult moment because we weren't sure whether to play the comedy of Johnny Galecki or the drama of Bill. You know what? I wish we had played the comedy. We went instead for a neutral. Yes, which is why you don't hear music here. I don't think we were happy with this music cue in this position. Um, as like we say, there's two different ways you could go. You could pay, you could play Bill's pain, or you could kind of uh, play the fun of the story amping up. And and we just didn't make a decision actually. Well, as this, we, uh, when we played it as the comedy, we got into a repetitious pattern. That's right. Musically, it didn't, it didn't elevate either. It, right, it was sort of the same thing again, moving along. It was along, the same music funny. cue that happened after the bathroom where Bill right. was there with that student. We did make a decision. Maybe, yeah, you're, just, maybe you're sorry about it. but yeah. I'm sorry about it. You're right. We made a decision, and I, right. I wish we had kept the comedy going. Mm-mm. I think it works. because it was your decision. <laughs> it was your idea. And I'm damn proud of it. That's right. Oh, this is really a bad 
the area here because we never got <laughs> we never really well we had to go back and, and add a few frames to that the the drive up of the car the simple they're not really simple the kind of um, difficult moments for introducing a character how much time to give the person's entrance all that stuff is really um, best done by people with a lot of experience and we didn't have that kind of experience so those were areas that were problematic for me anyway also blocking actors where it was tough for me because I'm a writer and I'm not a, a 3D kind of person. So I generally uh, had to just ask the actors where would they be standing if this were real life and we tried to you know adjust around that. It helped of course that I had written a script and had envisioned everything before shooting it or staging it. I also rehearsed the entire script with uh, my acting class so I had gone through each scene with a group of actors, and that helped me a great deal, because we had no time for rehearsal with the real actors. No, but I don't know where it is anymore. Where does that put us? Hell, I don't know. You let me know as soon as you hear from either of them. We took little bits of dialogue out of this scene, very judiciously. I'd like to send him someplace they will for about five to ten. Might put some sense into him. Well, I mean, if his brains are in his ass. Strikes me as fairly likely. What we tried, what I tried to do when I write, wrote the script is make sure every character came onto the canvas with a lot of backstory uh, having happened, a lot of previous relationship with the characters before we even see them. So that's an example here with Lyle Lovett's character. He uh, he has quite a big backstory that Lucia knows about. They have a history, and I think it makes more interesting drama. We don't necessarily find out about it at this time, but it it works. It works in the story, which you'll find out about later. I had another way, actually, of uh, Lisa finding out uh, about this uh, scandal, which was she was coming out of her uh, house, and um, the, a newspaper blew up against her legs, and she picked it up, and she read the headline in it. But it just didn't, you know, it never worked cinematically, and it didn't work storytelling-wise. That was so. the feet shot, right? Yeah, that was a shot of her feet. It we couldn't never... get the newspaper. No, we couldn't get the newspaper to <laughs> blow up against her legs appropriately. and It was just too clever, frankly. Those are all lines we came up with in the Lube Group. Is this set wide enough for you? It's a nightmare to shoot. <laughs> Light coming in and white walls and. Now, did you call that lawyer that I told you about? Before. Hello, this is America. We don't like sodomy so much here. Yeah, but the schools are good. Uh, Speaking of which, you are not going in, Bill. No, there are reporters out there. Hello, Mr. Truett. Tanya and Clint, I'm here at Hoover High School where a sex scandal has exploded involving a high school teacher whose seeming popularity may in fact be the cover for predatory advances upon young male students We had a lot of these students, only two of whom worked, actually, in terms of the picture, in terms of getting the laughs and not being repetitious. And we still ended up with only one. In the final product. Is this, did we this only end it. up with one? Yeah, we ended Her up in John. the last pass, and then Johnny Galecki. What I meant to say was only uh. one of them really worked. Um, I work there. It slowed it down, you know, and it was basically, you know, time to keep get back to our main characters. 
This was uh, Johnny's very first work um, in the movie. And we had, he had never done this character before. He just showed up that day. He, we had gotten the part a, you know, a couple days before. And we didn't rehearse or anything. I just said, well, do, do what you think you should do. He never read for this part. And so this is his very first few moments as his character. He's really terrific. Here we'd lost a bunch of Bill with the, with the principal and uh, just stuff that actually was supported by voiceover. And again, as we found mm -hmm. that voiceover needed to be sort of butted up against itself in the dialogue, mm -hmm. picture had to come out. Yeah, they weren't that interesting, those pictures anyway. But they told part of a story that we didn't need. This was a kind of a change in tone, I guess, in the movie, is here where it, it, it stops being jaunty and starts getting kind of genuinely serious. And that's really hard to convince people of when you're being comedic. Right. To allow the film to then be dramatic. I shot this stupid little <laughs> flower bed montage about 300 times. It's still not right. This, I had to go out in the driveway when they were shooting this scene because Lisa was making me laugh so much. She's just terrific. The dialogue, you know, none of this we could keep in the movie because we were so pressed for time. Our first assembly was two hours and 43 minutes. There was a lot of lovely stuff that we just couldn't show you. This um, little flashback was not originally here. It was, first of all, it's much longer than you see here. And second of all, it happened about 10 minutes, 15 what? minutes later in the movie. They went to L.A. They went after they went to L.A. But this was an idea of Michael Bessman's, actually. Oh, thanks. And it really worked Just well. Just the only one. Surprise. One of many that made the picture better. It really helped the pace. It did, yeah. And that's my middle name, isn't it? I know in movies you kind of feel sorry for girls like this, but in real life, you wouldn't be sitting next to her. All of this uh, dialogue, we shot this stupidly, shot this without sound. I don't know what kind of economy I thought I was making. I guess the sound people said, can we go home? And I said, okay. <laughs> I think that's exactly what did happen. And I said, well, this will all be, you know, this is all a flashback. And I, I wrote it MOS. In the script, it's MOS. But um, I, I should have shot sound, rolled sound. Ever since they were kids, she had, like, a crush on him or something. So did the best man. You could tell it wrecked her. She was a virgin until she was 28. But she eventually sort of... This scene was a little longer, too, with drive-ups and people getting out of cars. And we really had to be tough at this stage of the movie because there's a lot of story coming. None of this makes me like her more, but I thought you should know, just to be fair. Oh, boy, this was tough. This was a tough <laughs> scene. This was, like, this was day five of my work on the movie. 2 a.m. We had had a lot of problems. Uh, 
earlier in the day, and everybody was tired. Lisa wasn't feeling well. All the lights were green, of course, and it looks rather green. And we just don't have the angles. We need close shots, and our, our close-ups don't work at all. They're badly framed and chosen and selected. So we ended up cutting a scene with uh, two masters. I don't know why I had two masters, because I, I never did on any other scene. You see Lyle sort of looking where there's nobody yeah. standing. Yeah, it's just strangely composed and, and selected. We, we know we were in this aisle, which was much too narrow for the cameras. And it's my least favorite scene, that, that uh, grocery store scene. I'm trying to think if we cut anything. Yeah, we lost to the drive-up where... A drive-up where she got out of the car. And Lucia overhears Bill playing loud music, which is so unlike him. Mm-hmm. And there's a big chunk. Wasn't that music Matt's theme? <laughs> no. There was a big earlier part of this uh, scene where oh, he actually played, played the, the, message. the message from Matt, which was very funny but very, very slow. I wonder what the movie would have been like with that scene in. I, I don't think we needed it, but... What the that They were both standing by the bed as the message was playing. And Bill was getting sort of excited and Lucia was getting more and more frustrated. I wonder if we made a mistake cutting it. We probably it. would have gotten the Oscar. But why? This is not where I... I don't think I would have put red drapes up if I'd had my way. Or a red shirt. It's one of those things that just happened. Battling reds. So it's all I could see whenever we were editing this film was how red everything was. I believe you would yell out, Oh, nice curtains. <laughs> and the room looks entombed. However, the lighting is good for Lisa, all that red and the drapes. makes her look rosy. We took out about three minutes out of this particular sequence. Including a really nice moment where Bill lied down on Lisa's lap, which Mm -hmm. was a touching piece, Mm -hmm. but took about literally a minute and a half to get to. Mm -hmm. Lisa was vamping on the phone, waiting for him to lie down. Mm Mm-hmm. And very funny. Very funny ad-lib stuff. I think you can see one of our film trucks pulling up in the background to meet the taxi. And here we are in... We are here in Boys Town. One thing I loved about Lisa's um, character in this movie are, are the really terrible hairstyles that she and the um, hair guys came up with. Didn't they use the hair dini? It's something like that. <laughs> this is a particularly offensive hairdo that uh, Danielle Curé came up with. We had a long searching for Matt montage here. Yeah, maybe they're just bad pictures. This was fun maybe place to shoot at, too. It was such a stupid idea. A guy makes a call from a payphone in a city of eight million and I think I can find him. I'm still not sure about that cut, David, are you? No, you are in favor of it. I'm the one who didn't like it for some reason. And what was my problem? Because we can't, it wasn't, uh, never mind. Sort of a cro- crossing the line a bit. But. 
We had to cut in because they. We had to cut in because they took too long. Right. There was a big long pause before they worked up before they worked up to say their next line. So we had to find some place. And they're looking around at stuff we don't know what they're looking at because they're sort of in a restaurant, but we don't really see the food and service line area. You're right. That's right. And this lift, where we're just walking in the door, we lost a a lot of. A lot of action here. A lot of humorous. Uh, a lot of comedy. A couple guys coming out of the bathroom, out of the ladies' room, you know, looking happy. And, and Lisa's reactions, though, were quite wonderful. You know, watching this makes me want to go put everything back in, but I don't think I should somehow. Move on, Don. <laughs> I've got to let it go. <laughs> Ivan had done a TV movie, and he was up in uh, Canada doing a TV series for John uh, Wu. John Wu, and he came and read for us very early on for the part of Matt, and he basically was the only one we ever considered for that part. He was so terrific. He's really good, I think, in the movie. Poor Bill. It must be inherited from our father. You know, being romantic. It's just when it's a man being romantic about a woman. It was difficult um, getting. You know, you know I, I think we went for a comedy there uh, instead of playing Lisa's, uh, Lucia's pain over Bill going back with this guy who she doesn't approve of. It was always that kind of um, trade-off, you know. You either go for the comedy or you go for the actual pain. And, and usually we try to do both. We try to do a little pain and then it turns happy. Or we do a little happy and it turns sad. We tried to have it both ways. Usually we used uh, the voiceover to interrupt the pain. Mm-hmm. Just when you were beginning to settle into a little drama, right. here comes Christina. That's right. Christina worked for us as a real astringent uh, in the movie. Her voiceover um, prevented us from getting sentimental, always. Oh, this scene was so hard. <laughs> uh, we, had, we were shooting it in Chasen's restaurant, which had closed you know, forever. And uh, it was a five, six-page scene of four people sitting around a table. We had all sorts of shots, none of which worked, really. Well, we ha- I had great ideas. I showed up with, like, 17 different types of shots that we would need. And the entire movie, the entire scene basically cut, you know, between two-shot and three-shot and four-shot. And none of that worked. We grabbed what we could, which was um, a master, and then these two shots. And then... Um, Singles, yeah. A few singles that we ended up not being able to use, really. Because their either heads were too big or too small. Mm -hmm. Or the performance in in the single, which we did last, was not as good as these earlier ones. If you describe it to them. What about the sauce? You think they just have bananas Foster sauce lying around in the kitchen, but they don't put it on the menu? I appreciate you both deciding to meet. You, not her. I think Lisa's very funny in this scene. She's very alive to, to Dee Dee at every, every moment. I'm not going back. Dee Dee, you're 16. You're pregnant. Matt, you can't support her on what you make at that job. Can't tell me about it. Look, Matt doesn't want to get legal, but you two are kind of man and wife. So I figure he deserves half of what you have. I got very unhappy with Ivan during the cutting of this because the buttering of the bread never seemed to work for me. <laughs> can watch it over and over again, and his hands are constantly buttering the bread differently. He likes a lot of butter every on shot. It. Yeah, he's a growing boy, you know. And the napkins were torture. You know, the, some were up, up, some were down, some were 
I want her to go back to school, too. You made a big mistake coming here today. You know that? You really should have stayed at home and let Matt come and do your dirty work for you. Because let me tell you something. I have taught high school girls for about 15 years, and pregnancy is one of my specialties. And looking at you, you are at least five months pregnant. Five and a half, even. There is no way that this is Matt's baby. Here we go. Long Island iced tea. His waiter just steals this scene. <laughs> Isn't he good? He's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And regular Coke. I think you're crazy. She's crazy. Let's go. Yeah, you're three months in, right? Yeah, maybe when she met you, maybe. So I put on a little weight. Besides, what would you know about being pregnant? It's not like you've ever been. Yeah, she eats all the time. Matt, this is not your baby, okay? It's some other idiot's baby. Probably with an eighth grade education and a trunk full of great line. pamphlets. Thank you. You don't owe her or this baby anything. What is your problem? Dee Dee? There's a close up. Yeah, you see, when they come, you're really so unhappy that they came. It's her baby. But you've got to do something, you know. You're, you're in two shots and two shots, and you, you go back to the master when something changes big, like a waiter arrives, but then you're, you're pretty much. When we stuck. talked about you shooting it, we talked about how we could break patterns and how when you've got so many people around a table, it's very easy to get into this pattern of two shot, two shot, mm -hmm. close up, and we wanted to try to make shots turn into shots and have mm -hmm. the camera pan a little bit and mm -hmm. have shots go from different characters to different characters. And Does that make you feel any better? Oh, I don't believe you. I think you'd say just about anything. In fact, maybe you should say something to the police. That'd be nice and clear your name finally to we basically had to, on that day, grab what we could. And I comforted myself by telling myself that we were telling the story, you know, period. And, of course, you, uh, in, in post, when you're looking at what you managed to, managed to grab that day, you're, you're unhappy. But you forget the pressures that you were under. And uh, you can just get what you can get. I want my brother's ashes back, you heartless little bitch. Oh, yeah, that's me, Lucia. Heartless. What body part are you missing? Do you know how many laws have been broken already? You can go to jail for what this used to be. No, I'm sorry. I don't have a problem. Do you want your check? Yeah, no, we're fine. We're all set here. Let me just take that. Thank you. Now, there was a scene we cut outside, Jason's and... Dropping the urn. Dropping the urn and... Lisa wouldn't stop laughing. Mm-hmm. And we actually, that was the scene that we thought was hilarious, and then we got in front of an audience, and they just, they didn't laugh at that. No. The dropping of the urn, and Lisa's frantic waiting for the car, hoping mm -hmm. that they could catch them. And it's always interesting, which is another word for painful, to put the movie in front of an audience and see how often you're wrong about <laughs> what you think is funny and what you think works, and coincidentally, stuff that you're sure doesn't work, the audience enjoys. They actually live here? Now what? You want the answers back or not? There's a little racking focus going on in this uh, scene, which was tough to get. This is an example of a scene that I thought was going to lie there. We weren't sure until the audience, and the audience picked up on every because the the subtleties. And I think Martin. Mm -hmm. I think Martin comes into his own here. He really seems to work well with her. Yeah, you know, and this was just about the time in the movie where uh, the two actors started to, you know, enjoy their roles and working together. It takes some time for actors to kind of get comfortable with each other on screen, 
And by this time of the movie, they had sort of figured out they were a kind of uh, very inept a kind of detective squad Nick together. and Nora. Nick and Nora, yeah. So they really started to enjoy all of this kind of daring do and detective work. Not much of which is still in the movie, of course, because we did have to be ruthless, but some of it persists. Was hair and makeup away that day? They were away on purpose. <laughs> Martin, we found, uh, we were looking for Bill. It was a very difficult uh, part to cast because this character, Bill, is gay without being um, in a dress or in the closet or dying of AIDS. In other words, his gayness has nothing really to do with the plot. It's not about him being gay, and, and therefore an actor has nothing to hide behind. And it was very difficult to get somebody uh, brave enough to want to be very much like themselves but, but be gay. And uh, we had seen Martin, uh, Michael and I went to see Martin in a movie called The Hollow Reed. And he was really wonderful in that. And we offered him the part Nick the following week. What are you doing? Bill? There was some really cute other business here. I wish we didn't cut this, the line about the, the hospital. What line about We're gonna the have hospital? To, I'm going to wind up in the hospital. Oh, yeah, well. Yeah, they walked down the side of the right. house slowly and around a bunch so, of yeah. garbage. Yeah. And Boy, is, was it slow. And and also a fun place to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got really sick here because they, they set up the, the, the place where the director and the script supervisor would sit right by the dumpsters, which were it's so horrible. And I got really sick for about 10 days after this location. Well, but boy, did we save money. This was a nightmare uh, location, Bill. really. Damn it. I shot this scene. These are the, these are the, the angles I got the next day. But originally, I only had a flat master of this whole material here, uh, which was so ugly, and I was so unhappy. And it was like the first day that I had ever... Uh, on this movie where I, I went home knowing that I hadn't done uh, an adequate job. And so the next day we went back and we all worked really, really fast and the, everybody pitched in and I, I got some time to reshoot it. I was very grateful. He's a friend from home. He just came in to take a shower. You know what that's like after a long Let's drive. see, there was quite a cut here, wasn't there? What do you mean about us going home? No, no, there wasn't. This isn't right. This isn't how it should be. Yeah, I think we ended up putting it back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bad enough that we took the money. You took the money. And I'm going to give it back. Oh, there was an earlier apartment There's an scene. earlier apartment scene. Before we go to Chasen's, uh, we see Dee Dee and Matt together in this apartment, and their life has not turned out uh, very well, not very glamorously. And it was just a moment of seeing Dee Dee before we saw her again in Chasen's. And we've, uh, David and I thought it was important just for sympathy, just so we wouldn't think of Dee Dee as some sort of um, scheming girl, but somebody who chose badly and it hadn't worked out, we thought it might give her some more sympathy. And it probably did, but it took too much time. All of the things we cut worked if, if we'd had the time for them, but they, you know, you have to make those decisions. Look, Matt, we're out of here. It's Randy's baby, we're going to go, we're going to have a fresh start. It's God's will. Right, Randy? 
Yeah, I guess. Wish it was God's will for me to wear a rubber, but yeah, anyway. Look, we're gonna need that money for the baby. See what I'm saying? No way. Oh, come on, Matt. It's not gonna work out between us. You're gay. I don't mind so much, but I want my baby to have a real father. I told you I was gay. This guy's a homo? Could you leave now? What about the eggs? You haven't slept with this guy, have you? Be getting that stuff all over the baby. There's never seen child inside this girl. You son of a bitch. Randy, be Christ-like. Back off now. You fucking fight it. <laughs> oh, boy, do we just have the bare minimum of coverage on this fight. I'm telling you. Not my strong suit anyway. I've never been near a fight. But um, we also were running out of time. So it was like, you know, just point the camera at the bed and I'll have them roll around and I hope that'll be enough. And it was just barely enough. We also had a great Doris Day song we couldn't afford. We had a lot of good Doris Day material, which we just couldn't get the budget for. We're gonna need some of this for the baby. And we're gonna get by just fine. Come on, baby, let's get out of here. At the end of the scene, actually, Didi says something kind of mean, which we cut. So it kind of. What was that? I don't know. I, I don't know. Something cutting. So we got rid of it, so she seems a little bit more sympathetic. We're always running the risk of the audience saying enough already with Dee Dee. Yeah, because Dee Dee's character is so strong, you could get tired of it. And we were always trying to make sure we saw something else besides anger in her. That was a lucky shot. Yeah, it was. Well, it was all, of course, part of my design. <laughs> it doesn't at all match the time of day that we have behind her no now. No one notices. Wow. That's a great shower. This was also a fun scene to cut. This, I think, I got so confused over eye lines and where that my poor script supervisor and I were, were fighting um, Hubert uh, on, on this day because we all had these major disagreements about what shots would we best need. And I think, you know, we won some of the arguments and Hubert won some of them and we basically were all wrong. What you're missing is a reverse of this front shot so that yes. you can see where everybody's standing. Right. You kind of feel, like, where are these people? We don't know. So we had to use the shots where they're pointing at each other or mm -hmm. turning their head and looking and throwing a line in that direction in order mm -hmm. to make it work. You just don't want to disorient the audience and, and that's what happens when you have real close shots with only one character in them. You, they're kind of floating in space. I made that mistake more than once, though. So things didn't work out between us. So it didn't last forever. Fine. But we were fortunate that the actors were good enough and gave us different things each time, turning their heads, you know, and looking mm -hmm. and not, so that we could keep the integrity of the performance and yet right. establish geography. And they, and they all were really good in this scene, too. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that Ivan was doing just then was really cute stuff. I, I expected better from, uh, maybe not from you, Lucia, but you, Bill? Come on, she's your sister. Half-sister. She's pregnant, probably abused with like all sorts of repressed memories that haven't even occurred to her yet. She comes to you for help and you let her go off with this like really violent stalker guy who tracked her down. Wait a minute. I like Lisa's uh, kind of school teacher on holiday outfit. It's so bad. It's just so bad. 
Dr. Malady, which she's probably going to take out on Dee Dee. Oh, she's probably used to him taking out his physical abnormality, taking it out and waving it all around. Look, I know technically... We had a really, really good costume designer, Peter Mitchell, on this movie, who, who does it all based on character. And everybody wore just exactly the right things that their characters would buy. Father's dead. Stepfather's dead. I lied to her about the money. Even her blood brother, who she came to for help on a bus. We had a couple of days scheduled to shoot in this hotel, and our crew made so many mistakes with, um, like, things falling out of windows. And, and uh, we were on, like, the eighth floor, and a C-stand fell over and, like, kill, almost killed a tourist. That The hotel invited us not to come back. So we had to cut some material that we had scheduled to shoot here. They really didn't like us. But they love the movie. <laughs> I don't know. I think we shot this the day uh, Versace was killed. I think it's a business. The police, missing persons. Calling the police, All right, Bill? Enough. That's what I remember happening in the outside world. God! Stupid! Lucia, take five. Go on, go! I can handle this. Bill, I don't think he is as dumb as we think. As you think, Lucia! Just laughing at her outfit. God damn it. It's so God I'm off to Universal you. Studios. God fuck. You know, I hope Tom Cruise is as straight as they come. I never thought he wasn't. No, that's timing. Yeah, she's good. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> Perfect match with a actor, dialogue. This was Lyle's first scene after about five weeks. He had gone on a concert. So we had him for three days at the beginning of the movie, and then he was gone for five weeks, and then he came back for another week. Surprised you pay working with a star. Yeah. He was, like, the most famous, I think, person working on this movie, just in terms of his fan base, and very approachable, always being interrupted by fans, and a real gentleman. He had a big problem with this scene, because for some some reason I can't remember, I needed him to be on the inside of the sidewalk, the the sidewalk next to the next to the uh, building, and he had a problem with that because he he said a gentleman would be walking on the outside to protect the lady, and we just loved him for that. We did, but I still made him walk close to the building. A little extortion and oh, the transportation of a minor across state lines. When did all this happen today? Oh, yeah, all today. He uh, just came to us while we were casting the movie, and uh, his agent called up and said, Lyle has read the script and would love to meet. And I thought Lyle was auditioning me because I had never directed before, and he thought I was auditioning him. So he came down, and we had a really nice meeting. And I called the agent back and said, God, I really liked him, and I hope he'll do it. And uh, he said, oh, no, he's doing it. He wants to do it. If he, was have him. he was perfect. The great. minute we saw him, we knew he was Carl. He's got such... Um, uh, decency. He's a real. He's a real, honest man. A lot of integrity and just a good, good person. And that's what that character needed. His character is about the only one in the movie with a real sense of what sex is for him and how he makes it work in his own life. And everybody else is a little confused about sex, but not Carl. This actually isn't Lyle Lovett. Lyle Lovett was on on tour. That was me. So we got some guy who is a Lyle Lovett impersonator to walk up and down in front of the camera. Some cop somewhere spots Randy's car, which at least is going to liven things up as far as I'm concerned. Because frankly, 
I'm starting to think Randy's missing. Okay, we were lucky enough to be in Palm Springs July 29th, so it was hot, really hot. Except this was a set. This was on the stage. And I, I think Christina's pregnancy pad kept slipping down, you know, like by the end of the scene, it's in between her knees. And there was a huge, we took out a huge lift. Yeah, we took out a big speech about, um, we, we had we had problems in this scene because uh, Christina's character was so hard. And um, there was a big speech about Christianity that we had to take out. Finally, I really was sorry to see it go. But it made the scene too long and 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 it made her character too hard. And you'll see coming up, I need her to be very sympathetic. She does something kind of, you know, bad here. Weebly Scott came in. He he also gave like the best best reading for this character really early on in the casting process. So we always had him in mind to do this part. Very kind of an innocent kid. And what about Christina? Christina, we had looked at just about every every actress in this age range. When I wrote the part, I thought I would have to get an actor who was maybe 21 or an adult to play younger, just because the language was so frank. I didn't, I, I couldn't think of a girl who was 16 years old who would be, I would feel comfortable having her say these lines. But Christina's uh, mother read the, the script and liked it, and Christina liked it very much, and she came in and read for us in New York, and she was terrific. And we offered her the part the next day. I cannot imagine anybody else doing the part. Want to see some rubber wall bounce? There you go. Big old rubber wall. <laughs> I think you hurt the baby. another fight scene so if you've got a book you want to read right now or this works perfectly yeah this was always in the script you know most of what you see like 95% of what you see is just exactly as we scripted it um, and it was I scripted it it was kind of like the sound people doing their genius orchestration of mm -hmm. noise and yeah I wanted the violence to occur off camera only because I just did not want to uh, have to see uh, the murder. And so we had to do all this all in real time, like uh, William Lee and Christina were wrestling and then they got on the bed and then now they had to hold their breaths so that we didn't see their chests rising and falling. And sometimes they weren't very successful. Plus we had to have this very complicated dolly move and tracking mm -hmm. shot and you can see she's breathing. It's okay. I think she's okay there. But uh, it was really a complicated shot to get. It seemed to me very difficult. What'd you think, I'd be the dead one? I'm the fucking narrator, guys. Keep up. It'd be a lot easier for all of us right now if Randy was someone we hated. But he was nice, mostly. Script, I was very concerned about us not liking uh, Christina, Christina's character here. So um, we did this little thing. I did this little thing where uh, we explained that the kid would have been dead anyway, and he had no parents, and this was the best thing for him. And I was always concerned with the audience not going along with Christina for the ride. It's very important that they do. But this is like a classic comedy scene. Right. And you can get away with it. Only one ball? 
big cut here for time. It's me! Come on, Dee Dee, it's me, Matt. Open up! We were just desperate to get minutes out of the picture at this stage. This was the last day of shooting. It was Christina's last scene in the movie. And uh, she was really, really sorry that the movie was over. She said it was her best experience on a set. You mean that? What about this Randy guy? He's a jerk. I can't stand him. It's not like we Matt! Who's that? We're, a lot of stuff here is, is uh, cut, I think. Yeah, they used it to was, arrive. It was, it was like shoe leather. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, it was shoe leather. It was, that's what I called it. That's the danger when you sort of have a traveling picture. People yes. are. You, you have know. to explain why, how people found them, and when they arrived, and what their process was, and, it, and the audience really doesn't care. Remember and that so. scene at the coffee shop in Santa Monica that was scripted? That explained mm -mm. the whole plot. No. And you were like, "Let's cut it." What scene was this at the coffee shop? Between Lucia and Carl. It was way early in the process. Oh, too early for me to remember it. Like oh, yes, I do remember that scene. Yeah. A scene where, you know, these scenes always go, is where one character tells another character what has just happened, which the audience saw. So that just, you know, doesn't stay in. It's just about the writing process. The problem with uh, Palm Springs and Lisa is that her hair dye, which was a vegetable dye, kept running in the heat. So we had her, we had her for a few seconds each shot. The scene you don't see is one where Christina convinces uh, Matt to uh, leave with her. And we're going to see that later. Hopefully. Hopefully we I don't can think, find that. I don't remember that scene. It was funny. Yeah, but it was, we knew that that's what she was going to be doing. So to show it made no sense. It was David's first idea to, to cut it. David Cadron? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Love him. I don't know. I'm going to say. I never really forgave you for that, and I'm just telling you now. I wish I could have seen it. I am the producer. You didn't see it in the assembly? No, you didn't. No, I didn't. This is, a, this is my least favorite scene. We, have, we don't have matching angles. There was a don't big, forget the vibrating bed. There was a big gag about this bed having magic fingers that we had to lose uh, when we cut down the earlier scene where we also cut out all of that um, Christian argument that uh, Dee Dee had. And so the result was we couldn't have the vibrating bed when we got to this scene that you just saw, so it's very badly kind of truncated. We'd like to ask you to stay in Palm Springs for a few days. Oh, really? Well, are we under arrest? At our expense, of course. Uh, Must have a nice budget. Carl Tippett, St. Joe County Sheriff's Department, Indiana. Oh, colleague. I'm checking in. The bra scene. I think on this day, Lisa had just learned that she'd uh, won her, I think, her second Emmy nomination for Phoebe. So it was very a very distracting day for her, you know, calls and interviews and flowers and flowers and and this was really a very important scene for her. So it was unfortunate, but she did a great job. And Martin was uh, kind enough to let her go first for her close-ups and uh, her work and. Uh, 
very gallantly agreed to have his close-ups done last. There's a lot of pizza boxes in this film. Well, I draw from life. Sleep really well, then. Where's Carl? I don't know. Bed? Yeah, I bet. This scene, um, originally the conception of uh, the Lucia character was that she was in love, really in love with Bill, and wished he were straight. And when Lisa and I first sat down to talk about the character, she sort of didn't want that. She said, I don't want to I don't want to play this woman in love with a gay man. So she approached the role differently, as if the character is really in love with the kind of family that they had when she and her brother were alive. And she's in love with family, or the lost concept of family. But this scene really speaks about uh, about a single straight woman who has no partner of her own and who's surrounded by gay men who are uh, who are having relationships. So in a way, it's uh, and Bill's line at the end of the movie, uh, at the end of the sour scene where grapes. he says "sour grapes," really speaks to that earlier conception of the Lucia character. It still comes through, but yeah, I think it's, it's still, a lot more subtler. It's more subtle, yeah, than it was. Lisa just did not want to play a fag hag, you know. One, uh, not that they even have fag hags anymore, but she just did not want that um, that role. I would rather have a back rub, you know. It lasts longer, and there's no fluids. You know what's so great about that? It's like, hi, I'd like to blow my nose on your face. You know, you wouldn't like that, would you? After they do it, they never phone you. Yeah, or a shampoo. You know, it's the really great. They do a fag. <laughs> What did you say? Who's they? <laughs> it's not just sex, Lucia. I care for Matt, all right? It is sex, Bill. You just won't admit it. Because you want to you be above that. You want to think that nothing that happened happened because you like sex. I'm really beat. This scene is really about Bill's, Bill's problem in the movie, which is he's not really honest with himself. He's kind of just... He's in denial about his deepest feelings, and he doesn't, doesn't want to face it. Childbirth if it only happened one time. It's fucking dangerous, sex. Tom didn't die because of sex. Didn't he? I think this is the scene where this is what you want the character to be saying of Lucia to him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of getting all her dirty laundry out. Right. She's a very uh, she's a very frustrated woman throughout most of the movie, and this is finally a chance where she gets to to say what she, what's on her mind. So it's it's always a good scene for for an audience because they suspect there's something twisted or uptight about her, and, and here's they really get a, a, a vision of it. Chase this bimbo from Indiana to Chippewa Falls for all I care. Go ahead, throw away your, your reputation, your job, and your students, and whatever, because you want Matt. That's, it's your right. Just don't say that it's about love, okay? You're an English teacher, call things by their right name. Okay, fine, fine. Dentifrice, vagina, and sour fucking grapes. Class dismissed? This was the very last thing we shot in the movie. She turned her light out. 
Oh, she yeah. put earrings on. She put earrings on. She, she knew the light it, was, it was like a sixth sense kind of thing. She's also been kissed several times in this first shot. And she hasn't yet kissed him, so. We went and did several takes of this scene, um, this material right here where, where Lisa's greeting Carl, because she and I both wanted all the old traces of the character of Lucia to go away, and for the, her just to be this very hurt and um, lonely, vulnerable woman. And it was difficult to get there after playing such an angry and, um, you know, bitter, frustrated woman to just l let all that go behind. She did just great work. I'm really happy with this scene. Mm -hmm. Can you believe this? It's so unfair. Here's an example of the voiceover coming in. If if there's a, a danger of us being too sentimental, the voiceover comes in and kind of rescues us. Gross. She turned out to be one of those talkers. You know what I mean? Do it to me, yeah. Oh, there, take me home. So they didn't want the beer. No, just wanted the shampoo. Oh, okay. It was sort of a joke. Remember what she said about the shampoo? Yeah. Of course. But it's, like a, a it's an ecology thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a beautiful shot. Well, Hubert was really, was really helpful in the design of these sorts of shots. Yes, especially that. <laughs> Some of these loop lines really work. There was a lot of Bobette stuff. Yeah, I thought Bobette was really fun. Megan, Megan Blake. Mm -hmm. She had no real scripted lines at all, but she she really felt to me like Dee Dee's mom. And she, yeah, conveyed it. We had a lot of footage of Bill returning, and we sort of compressed it all into this one feeling because I think it felt like the end of the movie too much. It does kind of still feel, you know, we're definitely coming to a close on, on the movie, and if the movie ended here, it would still be a full story. So there's a whole other act that comes up. And the danger was that the audience would start turning off because, oh, it's the end of the movie, and it's time to go, and let's start disengaging. So we had to be very vigilant to keep the pace going and to cut as much as we could. Oh, it was October. It's the Persian embassy. Yes, you see the Persian mm -hmm. embassy? Well, Johnny's f head is blocking the Persian symbol. <laughs> Whenever that is. So busy. These scenes were shot on two different days. We, we grabbed one at the end of one day, and then to match the light, we had to do it the next day. So Martin's is all on one day, and Johnny's is all on the later day. Is this on? Bill. Bill, this is Dee Dee. I had to send Jason because of the whole crime thing. Matt called him one night in Chicago, and he's been like a fairy godfather, so to speak. What? He wants me to say faggot godfather. Anyway, I'm going to have the baby, and we need money, and you're the only one I know who has money. Like $10,000. We have a little... There was a lot of material we cut here. Um, before... Before Johnny's character shows up again, there was also a, a kind of an angry scene between uh, Martin Donovan and Lyle Lovett at a graveyard, uh, which was... Uh, we shot twice. We shot twice. Because of I, the hill. And I really thought that it was very important. And I remember Martin saying to me, you're going to reshoot that scene? I said, yeah, because I want to do something different, and we didn't quite get the 
look we wanted. And he said, that scene is never going to be in the movie, but go ahead and schedule me. And he was right. It really did not need to be there. Where are they? It's the kind of stuff that actors know sometimes that the writer or director doesn't. And a lot of stuff when you're writing a script is very important because you're, you're speaking to agents and studio heads and, and you don't have the benefit of actors or music or visual image and you have to do it all in scenes and words and dialogue. And what happens when you have actors is that suddenly they make a lot of that material redundant. We just sort of bought that Martin Donovan and Lyle Lovett were friends when we saw them in one scene together. So to have scenes indicating that they were good friends became repetitious. The audience very quickly gets ahead of you. How did you come up with this speech? Those Paul Lynn, Truman Capote references are just like, I think that was, I get it. When I was growing up, there were only two fairies in America, so I think that's, this is where Bill stands in for me. Ow! Fuck! Jesus! supposed to be my brother, man. Hey, I was brotherly, man. Think where else you're pierced. Let's go. Where we found this uh, convenience store. But it was a real kind of mom and pop convenience store because that was the only one we could afford. You have to, if you're going to go to a real store, then you have to buy out their day's business, which can be very expensive. So we had to find a mom and pop convenience store that was actually, you know, not, not selling much. So we, we found one. Where was it? La Habra? Or? I don't know. Somewhere in the North Valley. Isn't that girl in the back on a Claro commercial? I think she is. Is she? Yeah. Beautiful girl. Fucking small town, man. This was very mm-hmm. complicated to. Because the great shoot. idea we had about the window painting. Mm-hmm. Well, we had to to. Those windows are painted with fall colors to screen out palm trees and some, you know, other very distinctive Southern California buildings. We had quite a long chase sequence. <laughs> At one point, it was like a five-minute ch- car chase. Yeah. And, of course, you noticed that to get to uh, Canada from Indiana, you apparently drive through Malibu. Oh my God. But this map was a great idea to get yeah, us there. Yeah, the map helped. And boom, here we are in Canada. Mm-hmm. When I first saw the signs, they were all in uh, fractured French. But, and I made a big deal about correcting them to appropriate French, and nobody would have cared. But I spent a lot of good director time worried about that. <laughs> I was able to take it, take that time from scenes which uh, needed help. There's a lot of little trims here. Yeah, we really refined it. I guess this is the scenery my mom was talking about <laughs> that she likes so much. Big Bear. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. This was a nightmare location because of the because the um, the speedboats on the lake. Mm. Absolutely impossible to shoot. And we decided against paying the boats to 
Right. We could have paid people off or, or stationed guards out there, but um, we decided not to spend the three dollars it would have cost to get a usable day of sound recording because every penny counts I think you can hear a boat now well that's okay if you can see a boat you should hear mm -hmm. one but didn't you choreograph that boat I love Didi's outfit here mm -hmm. she refused to wear any kind of Christina refused to wear any kind of maternity outfit so if she wore a skirt when she was pregnant, it would just go up a little in the front. He wanted to see himself. Family, you know. Asshole. Get back in the house. Help Matt make dinner. I'll handle him. You'll handle me, huh? Did you really think I was just going to load up his car with cash and point it north? You're screwing this all up. When are you due? What does the doctor say? We can't afford a doctor. You didn't bring any money at all? Forget the money. Well, it's not for me, it's for them. Part of it, anyway. Did he tell you they're going to Mexico? And you're just giving them the baby as a wedding gift? Well, I gotta get Matt's name on the birth certificate. They'll take my word for it, right? I mean, once he's the father, he can take the kid anywhere. Just give it away. It's as much his as it is mine. I don't know why I'm watching this scene. I've seen it a million times, but... Why are we watching it? I don't know, I'm watching every cut, and I'm not happy with it. Oh, like I'm happy with all the words and the acting and the writing and the... Like, who cut this? Ugh. You cut it beautifully. I handed you such a pile of material. And, you know, based on my inexperience, uh, David had a lot of work to do to, to kind of get the picture Thank to God look. Thank God for computers. Yeah, we cut, it on a, we cut it on an Avid. And the virtue of an Avid is that you, you can really quickly make changes and look at them very quickly. Wasn't this supposedly a night scene? Yes, this was supposed to be at night. But we had no control. We had no ability to light this at night, really. There were very heavy cuts made in this uh, scene here. Uh, it just w really was a six-page scene, which I knew when we got there to shoot it and uh, could not for the life of me figure out where to cut it. So we, we did finally cut it after a long time. I think even after we premiered at Sundance, Michael had some ideas for some cuts that worked in this scene. But I resisted all of them just because uh, uh, the scene was so important. But we did at Sundance kind of take a dip here just a little bit, I think, in like terms of... Like almost 59, 50 seconds or something. Mm -hmm. It worked. How? How does he make you happy? I mean, he's not on your level. That's what Lucia used to say about me. Come on, Nat, admit it. This thing between you and Jason is just sex. Yeah, you know that stuff you breathe in there, Bill? It's just oxygen. It's an itch. He's scratching. You feel better. <laughs> a lot better. They really seem like a couple here. Yeah, I was happy with that. It's mm -hmm. one of the things in the... In that makes this movie different is that there is a gay relationship uh, or a couple of gay relationships at the heart of the movie but it's not about pleading for tolerance or it's just this is the main character's relationship and love problems happen to be with a member of the same sex and that's something that we haven't seen in Hollywood before and it made it very very difficult to um, get the movie put together but we take Bill's sexual orientation as a matter of uh, course and go on to explore how he does love people and, and what his problems are in loving and what his problems are with sex. But it's not because they're gay problems. They're just human problems. 
So there's nothing more to you than your body. What the fuck do I know? I'm just saying that if you're saying that you love me for my mind, hey, I know that's not my best feature, right? So where does that leave me? Not only does my lover have a fool for a boyfriend, so do I. You're not a fool. You know what I'm not? I'm Tom. Tom. I'm sorry that he died. But I'm sure wherever he is, he doesn't care that we screwed around. And he doesn't feel better because you moved me in, but you told everyone it was more than sex. You know, he died. That really sucks, Bill. But you don't get to make it better by being this really great guy who only likes the insides of people. He was robbed. I should be talking more, but I'm watching this scene. I haven't seen it in a couple of months. I'm always out in the lobby during this scene. It works wonderfully. <laughs> Michael, pull yourself together. Couldn't care less. Sorry. Okay. I love the loon in the background. Mm-hmm. It's very much like on Golden Pond. <laughs> it's an echo of that movie. You look kind of cute. Here's where the music works great. Yeah, it does, yeah. Mm -hmm. We, um, here's... Dee Dee coming in again with her voiceover, which helps. Can I just say to all the girls out there, if you're with a guy who groaned or made some crack during that little kiss, you're with what we call a clock. I think I use Dee Dee's voiceover a lot of times to uh, maybe articulate any kind of uncomfortableness in the audience. If there was a, if there was something that they might that might be occurring to them, I put it into Dee Dee's uh, mouth and and therefore kind of discounted it. You know, once once she would say this what the audience was feeling, then the audience would feel that their point of view had been taken care of and they would stop resisting the movie. Like when Lucia is being very naggy and bitchy, I have Dee Dee say, I know she's a total bitch, but you know, you don't know her like I do. Or whenever, whenever the audience, I felt the audience might be uncomfortable, I tried to give a voice to their discomfort and in, in that way, uh, move on. My favorite thing when you say, so what do, you, what do we do now over an establishing shot? Very Aaron Spelling. Yes. Very, very dynasty. I saw it in a movie yesterday, so relax. I know. Well, you see <laughs> a lot of movies. That. That's the problem. Very fresh, David. Yes, we took, allowed us to take a minute and a half out of this shot. Well, we had nine takes on this scene, and uh, it was a very long scene with no cuts. You know, I just didn't have the time to do separate coverage so we, this was another one of those scenes where you live and die by it if you do not uh, provide for cuts. The only way we can get out, we got out of it finally was just to cut it right in half. Come in late, you know, come in 30 seconds after the scene begins and then leave before it ends. We had thought it would be a problem because Lucia makes this transition so quickly now mm -hmm. to sort of forgiving him. I think she's cute. I think they're both cute in this scene, though. They're adorable. She's so proud of herself for having, you know, a, mm -hmm. a nice sexual relationship. Oh, anyway, we're out of it. You see, there was much more happening. 
I could have used some other angles here. Yeah, it was fine. very still. This was a scene where I needed the actors to be extremely agitated. Now, the boys coming down in the back were extremely agitated, but these three in the front were extremely tired, so I didn't quite get the feeling of chaos that uh, I was going for. Ivan makes it all happen. Ivan, <laughs> Ivan and, and uh, Johnny are running around like crazy. Okay. Are you having contractions? No, this is my sleepy face. The fuck do you think? Matt, what's going on? We can't get through. Lots of cuts in that scene. We'll be at the hospital. Uh, uh, it's okay. This can't be good. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This scene, boy, we shot this one Sunday night, and I was up until four um, doing this. It was incredibly complicated. I don't know why. You have to rig the car, and then it was on a trailer or something. Very, very... These are the kind of things that really take a long time. No more road movies for you, eh? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> nice drawing room comedy. Jesus, she's crowning. What does that mean? They can see the hand. Well, Don, you! You right there, I wrote this script. I sat down to write this script. I had just been, um, I was going to direct a, a movie I wrote called Easy Women, and, and the star of Easy Women had just walked off the picture. And then the studio sued me, and then I sued the studio, and I basically had to take to my bed for a while. And I was sitting in bed one day and uh, watching The Net on TV with Sandra Bullock. That had just debuted on cable. And the idea or the image or the scene of a girl throwing a chair into an open grave just came to me and got my attention. And uh, that scene still is in the movie. And that's what got the whole thing started. For me as a writer, you've got to latch on to some, something that interests you, and then you ask yourself questions, or it asks you questions, like who is the girl, why is she angry, who's in the grave, why are they letting her get away with this, what is she going to do next, who's related to her. Did you and thank Sandra Bullock? I haven't thanked Sandy yet, <laughs> but I owe her. If anything happens to me, will you keep the baby, not them? And the script was written really quickly. I think it was about three months of writing, all told. It was interrupted by other projects. Finished the script, and uh, it was so unlike anything that I had done before. Uh, I had never used voiceover in a movie before. I had never done anything kind of... Um, stylistically different, although I had wanted to for years. And uh, I'm very surprised that, it, it, that somebody wanted to, to, to do it. I'm not. Well, thank you. Fabulous, <laughs> unique piece of work. It seemed to me very personal and, and uh, idiosyncratic. And uh, I couldn't imagine it finding an audience or, or even finding a studio. But all of this stuff in here with the with the... You know, the split screen and the voiceover and when she addresses the audience and when she tells them um, flashbacks or she comments on the characters. All of that is all in the script. It's not something we added later. And I wanted voiceover. Uh, I wanted a different type of voiceover because I didn't care for the kind that 
say you see a snowy field and a and a house or a farm in the in the middle of a snowy field and the voiceover comes on and says it was very snowy that winter in our house in the field so i didn't like that kind of voiceover i wanted a voiceover that was more um, i don't know more aggressive and assaultive and i also felt that the audience shouldn't be protected from Didi if the characters in the movie weren't. So I have Didi turn on the audience. And it's very effective. Focus your attention on the person you're sleeping with, like biological highlighter. Otherwise, there are just too many people in the world. Poor Lyle. They were both were very nervous about this scene because it was their most uh, emotional scene together in the movie. And they had some very good ideas for, for line changes, too. Uh, how she gets into telling him that she, she's pregnant at the end is, uh, is their idea. But they were very, very nervous and thrilled the first night that it went so well. And it truly did go well. I truly thought they did a great job. And then two days later, I had to tell Lyle that we would have to reshoot it again. And he could not have been more professional. He came, did the same uh, scene again, just as good in performance. Really. He yelled at me. He did? No. Just no. Kidding. He was uh, very accommodating and said, no, that kind of thing happens, and, and did, he did a great job. I didn't go on to tell him that the scene that he reshot that night was out of focus, figuring, you know what? Don't push your luck. <laughs> He's nice, but nobody's that nice. <laughs> This scene, I get a lot of feedback on. It just really resonates with people. I think Lyle is so honest in this yeah. scene. Well, they both are. I mean, she's very open and honest, and he's just really, uh, he's a decent guy, you know? And uh, he just, I, I just fall in love with him in this scene. Didn't he dedicate a song to you? Yeah. <laughs> he did. Come on, come on. Come on, yes. Okay. It's a boy. Oh, this scene. Oh, my God. Mm. This was so badly uh, orchestrated by Jelly and cream cheese. Yeah, that's what they put on on an infant. Cream cheese and jelly, literally. Uh, and the actor was terribly nervous that he would dro- drop this little baby, who happened to be Hispanic. So we had uh, we had a Hispanic baby uh, as the ch- as the child of the two blondest people in America. I also had a shot here where I showed a lot of blood. And mm. the pad. Well, they're massaging her now. You can still see her pregnancy pad. But they don't but, lose light that quickly. Yeah, apparently they assured me that that was appropriate. <laughs> This movie was really scored beautifully by David Codron first with um, a temp score, finding stuff that really worked. And it wasn't easy, was it, David, to find music that would work for this picture? It wasn't easy, and what happens is is that you want to find stuff that helps the drama mm-hmm. because of the comedy. You really want to take it a little step higher than you normally might. Mm-hmm. And so we push for... You know, really orchestral, deep, dark 
sad music. When we could, when we could get, when we had those moments, yeah, that's where we went. But it's very sparse music, I think. It's very little underscoring in the middle of the scene. It's mostly transitional. And I think it's, that was a good idea. Gives it more real reality. What we found was that the film had, you know, not a lot of scenes, not a lot of big scenes. It had a lot of transitional montage sort of separations between big, important dialogue scenes. And so we used music to tie those together in a lot of cases. And the problem then be, was that sometimes we could discern a pattern, you know, and that's what we had to work against, too. We would find something that worked and then have to be aware that we weren't being repetitious and making the picture seem longer by whenever there was voiceover having jaunty music and, you know, we, whenever we changed scenes, having a musical piece to go underneath the voiceover. It was tough to avoid patterns and to keep it fresh. This is my favorite moment of Lisa's in the movie, because I think she's it's the kind of actress where it's all happening in her head, and she's letting it show on her face, but she's not... Uh, it's very, very good acting. We interrupt it with a joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> we interrupt of, that moment to with keep a... That in Christina was terrific in this movie and knew so much about filmmaking that the other actors would watch her, uh, her scenes and just be amazed by her uh, self-possession and her concentration. She grew up on a soundstage, and she's a real pro. And sometimes I would think she would do something, and I would not think that I had gotten what I wanted out of that. And then I would see it you know, in dailies or see it projected and, and realize that, uh, that it was there, in fact. Very, she's very accomplished. And also very easy to work with, very um, non-attitudinal. It's my car in the background. Well, that looks very well, too. This is the part of the movie where I can where I come back into the room when we show it at screenings, because from this point on to the end of the movie, I'm very happy with it. So it's safe for me to watch this. I let Bill take custody of the baby, and he worked it out so my parole time was spent at his place in Indiana. Breaking escrow cost him a shitload. Lucia and Carl had their baby. Wasn't that from Trisha? Yeah, there was a whole bunch of uh, material in Lucia's backstory, in, in Lucia's flashback about her sister, one of her sisters being on the Home Shopping Network and, and finally sending her a gift. So I think we might see some of that material. Even though it spooked me at first, him changing a boy baby and getting good pizza at his little thing. Christina was unhappy with this angle. She said, why are you shooting me from below? And do you realize what that's going to look like? So we moved the camera up. Because <laughs> I really needed her to be happy. Anyway, RJ was crazy about him, and vice versa. And here's an area where the music becomes dramatic, even though it's sort of the end of a comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this was a kind of a new ending that uh, I had come up with during the making Maybe of the Jason movie. Right. I had 
was unhappy with the mo- the ending in the movie that was scripted. Not I didn't mind the voiceover uh, dialogue, but I was just unhappy with the story at the end, which was that Dee Dee just gets on a just gets on a bus and uh, gets or a truck on, gets on a, yeah hitches a ride and just leaves. And I got unhappy with that and um, tried various things. We shot a different guy picking her up who was maybe younger or uh, sunnier than the truck driver, and that didn't work for me. And finally, I came up with this ending. And it's a part of the movie that always worked ever since David first uh, uh, put it together in the assembly. We've refined it and changed it. and But I remember being very moved by this in the assembly. This is Christina's Charlene Tilton look, <laughs> which I thought might be a good time. Might be time to bring that back. <laughs> so we went to Falls R Us and clapped this wiglet on her, and we were ready to roll. But on the minor side, God, all the attachment that goes with it, it's like this net. Sex always ends in kids or disease or like, you know. We had no time to grab this material. We had like two hours, and uh, it was a real big deal, big problem. This was scripted, wasn't it? Right. Well, in semi? No, really, no, semi-scripted. It was scripted in your head, it seemed like. We yeah. would get shots occasionally in the editing room that really were connected to nothing. It was like you sort of just picked it up because you were there, and... And I started to sense that there was going to be a flashback, and it started to make me nervous because, in general, those things don't really work. You're sort of telling the audience what they've already seen, and yet this one was so... The first time I saw it, I was so moved because the images are different than what we had seen. Uh And so they make you think. They make you think about the parts of the movie maybe that you didn't see. We just grabbed this because the light was so great. Right. Oh, but it was part of the master plan, I know. I see. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back on the ranch. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not all shit. Maybe. God damn it. I don't think we synced that up very well, <laughs> no, David. That was, that was out of no, it's the both voices. That one wasn't. It was good impossible either. to do. Yeah. Could you ever do it? Well, no. We. I don't know if that's the best version of the one. No. Oh, well. It's the one America has taken to its heart. I don't grow a heart of gold. And if I do, which is, like, so unlikely, give me a break and don't make me do it in front of you. Come on, guys, go, okay? Go! I'll give you this much, though. I never was the same again after that summer. I'd like to thank the Academy. <laughs> Oh boy, Don! I, I'm too I'm too moved really to comment. The movie just got me all over again. <laughs> we met we messed around with four different readings of I was never the same again after that summer. That's right. You know when we tested it first with it, an audience, we didn't really test anything because I never read the scores, but somebody was reading those scores. I was. Um, you know I got the note from three or four people that I trusted who said um, I really hate that last line I was never the same again after that summer and I just hated to lose it so we did do several different readings and finally got it I think your attorney didn't like it no he didn't he really he was wrong well I don't think it worked the way we had it before when she says it seriously it defeats the whole purpose and we were trying to go serious with it at first and uh, we worked a great deal on the voiceover because uh, that was so much a part of Christina's performance 
the character came to the audience over th uh, through this voiceover, and uh, we spent three days in December really going through everything r carefully and and take after take after take until all all of us were happy with uh, with that characterization, and uh, she I think she did a great job, did a terrific job conveying an entire character and and really when you think of the movie she's not in it that much not in the filmed material it's basically Bill and Lucia's story and Matt's story and uh, Didi is a catalyst but I think your overall impression of the movie is that it's uh, uh, the story of Didi and that's a, a great deal because of her performance in the voiceover as I, I, I want to thank many people and Sean I, I want to kill many people as I see them spool by me <laughs> We ha I, I, w I will say one thing. We had a lovely time making the movie. We, w it was a great crew in terms, of, uh, in terms of just the atmosphere on the set was really terrific. Uh, everybody was a team player. Everybody respected everybody else, and we just had a great time. I think a lot of my frustration was a typical writer encountering the process of making something uh, real, uh, actually getting stuff filmed. Uh, for, for me, it's so simple to write, you know, you know anything I just write a sentence it, ha it happens very quickly you can write a scene in, in, a, in a two minutes but to get that scene on film can take two days and I think that's a very common frustration for writers who become directors why is this taking so long why is it so many hours to turn the camera on and light, light the set and that I think was very frustrating for me but I, do, I did love the process of making the, of making the movie